Next up on the Mutual Audio Network, fiction from our future. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that all children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. The Leviathan Chronicles Season 2 The story thus far The Strike Force mission has failed after McAllen also led a small strike force out of Leviathan to obtain the location of a Black Door safe house. A booby trap was triggered, decimating the facility. McAllen and her team were heavily injured and the team's tracker and tactical officer Gregor Roginski is still unconscious. In Japan, Tully has been granted freedom by the Yakuza gangsters that captured he and Oberlin after being betrayed by Fish Egg Freddy. He has convinced Kasunori Tanaka, the CEO of Nankatsu Industries and secret head of the Yakuza, that he knows the location of Tanaka's missing son, who is being held by Jason Sterling. Tanaka gave Tully his freedom and 72 hours to find his son and bring him back to Japan. If he fails, Tanaka will execute Oberlin Sinclair. But back in New York City, a long-awaited showdown is about to take place. Whip Roberts and Senshin have joined forces. They have set up a rendezvous point with Jason Sterling, who has now become mutated and perverted since establishing an unstable cerebral connection with two enforcers that were burned alive in Mumbai, leaving his body stronger, his mind keener, and his skin a scarlet shade of red. Senshin has agreed to help door number 12 find the Seraxian aliens using a device he has hidden in New York. And now, chapter 35, The Station. Binghamton, New York. The black Gulfstream 650 jet landed on the remote grass airstrip near the Catskill Mountains of upstate New York. No lights were visible on the interior, and the plane moved ghost-like into the open doors of the concealed hangar. Once the hangar bay doors shut securely, the interior floodlights of the hangar popped on, and the hatch door of the jet was released. Feels nice to be back on U.S. soil. Feels nice not to be under attack. Need to get you to a doctor, Wit. I have some. I'll be can... fine, Senshin. Our door has facilities that Not can... anymore, you don't. The intelligence in Mumbai shows that the doorlock burn notice is in full effect, and that you and your compatriot Jason Sterling are now wanted men with almost all major intelligence and law enforcement agencies. You'd be lucky to buy Tylenol at a Walgreens. Anjali, the slender pilot of Senshin's private plane, exited the cockpit and walked towards the two men. She removed her headset, allowing her dark black hair to fall down to her mid-back. Senshin looked at her closely and could see deep circles under her eyes. Anjali, that was tremendous flying back in Nepal. I'm just glad you made the upgrades to the engines and the venting ports I suggested. Our radar signature has been substantially diminished, and the speed got us here 90 minutes early. You have a blank check, Anjali. You know that. You can ask for anything. Not anything. You need to get some rest, Anjali. Come on. We need to get to New York. Senshin, Witt, and Anjali walked to the bottom of the jetway. Senshin's dark green Aston Martin DBS was parked near the bottom, and a dark-skinned Gudrathi man exited the car. He nodded swiftly to Senshin, and then walked up the jetway to enter the black, unmarked plane. Witt walked over to the car to place his bag in the trunk, but Anjali stayed close to Senshin. Do you trust this man, Senshin? No, but I need his help if I'm going to keep our people alive. Well then, do you trust me? With my life, you know that. Then trust me when I tell you that this man is not your partner. 
He'll use you. I'll use him, Anjali. He's just waiting for an opening so he can betray you. I can sense it. You know we rely on you in India, Ascension. Immortals aren't supposed to die. And pilots are supposed to work in shifts. You haven't rested in 24 hours. I'm better than your other pilots, even with no sleep. And others rely on me to keep you safe. Undoubtedly, but... Just be careful, Ascension. I will. And Ascension? Yes? You know, I eat, I pray, I've raised my two boys well, and now I fight for a leader I believe in. <sighs> I... I don't think I understand. Mortal life can still have meaning, Senshin. That's what you don't understand. What are you trying to say, Anjali? I'm telling you to save yourself before you try to save all the others. There's no redemption in martyrdom. <sighs> I need to go, but if you need anything... I won't. Good luck with your partnership. Call me when you need me. I... I will. Senshin took a few steps towards the car and joined Wit inside. I like your taste in cars. Don't even know. Senshin put his foot down and sped the car down the gravel driveway on Route 17 south. As the car picked up speed, Senshin activated the exterior night vision on the windshield while arming the radar jammer and police frequency monitors. Whit looked at his wristwatch. It read 4.30 a.m. We have less than 18 hours to rendezvous with Jason Sterling at the station. Have you confirmed that he's picked up Rebecca Kinderman? He has her in custody. Unharmed? For now. The leader of my door is uneasy with this partnership. I sincerely hope for your sake and Rebecca's that you can locate the aliens. I don't like your threats. They're not threats, Senshun. They're facts. The DBS reached the town of Harriman and then continued to streak south on the New York State Thruway towards Manhattan. Senshin had the car cruising at over 110 miles per hour in the Catskill Mountains, with full passive and active radar detection. But as they grew closer to the suburbs of New York, he brought the speed down to a reasonable 70. The congestion on the road was greater even at this early hour in the morning, and getting into an accident or having to deal with law enforcement at this point would be calamitous at best. The Aston crossed the George Washington Bridge and made its way down the West Side Highway, turning off at 57th Street. Senshin drove through the morning congestion towards Columbus Circle where he parked in the driveway of the Mandarin Oriental Hotel. Checking in. Name, please. Seymour Sigler. Please, Mr. Sigler, we don't want another incident like last time with those No, no there won't be any problem, I assure you. Not like last time. Just the room, please. Of course. The Oriental Suite on the 52nd floor. Thank you. Witt and Senshin walked to the back of the elegant lobby and rode the gleaming glass elevators up 50 stories to the enormous suite that overlooked all of Central Park and Fifth Avenue. A thick black velvet sofa with leopard print pillows encompassed most of the space beside the floor-to-ceiling windows, while the far wall was dominated by built-in bookshelves constructed of polished Macassar wood. Nice digs. Thanks. I hope you enjoy it. What about you? We now have 15 hours until we rendezvous at the station. I need to get some... Preparations in order. I'll come with you. No, you won't. We're partners, Senshin. That was the deal. The deal was to collaborate on finding the aliens and freeing them. I don't need you tagging along on my personal errands. You're going to Sutton Manor. I am. And you don't want Black Door to know where it is? Are you going to give me every Black Door access code so I can snoop freely through all your files from years of clandestine operations? Always know your current location. Identify all your potential targets. We have a partnership, not a merger. And I always keep my end of the bargain. We are going to find the aliens, but I need to take care of some arrangements first to make sure that happens so that the device I've hidden can work properly. So in the meantime... Enjoy the wet bar on the left and watch the sunrise over the skyline. I'll be back in a few hours so we can make our rendezvous and... And what? And don't try to follow me with, or have someone follow me, or try and track me. Do you understand? That would be a violation of our... partnership. Be back in a few hours, Senshin, and don't be late. 
Senshin turned and left quickly, taking the elevator down but exiting through the adjacent shopping mall, not the hotel street level. He walked through the Thomas Pink and the Williams Sonoma store to assure he wasn't being followed, before entering the subway station at Columbus Circle and taking the downtown express train to 14th Street. He waited until the doors were about to close before jumping out and taking the local train back uptown to 28th Street, where Senshin ran back to street level and hailed a cab. He had the taxi drop him off on 57th Street and 1st Avenue, walking into the ATM entrance of Citibank, but quickly exiting through the main entrance around the corner. From there, he quickly walked the remaining two blocks to Sutton Manor, the secret headquarters of the rebellion and Senshin's home for the past 70 years. The manor was actually a conglomerate of several townhouses that were secretly joined within their interior, although no one from the outside would ever imagine the massive assembly could ever constitute a single dwelling. Senshin entered at the 58th Street entrance, overlooking the East River, where he passed the retinal and finger-swiping DNA test for the powerful locks on the door to unbolt and allow entry. The great house was empty, and the sounds of his own footsteps made Senshin feel heavy and alone. It's been less than a week, yet it feels like years since I've been here. Last time I was with Nathaniel. Poor soul. Brave young man. Here is so much to bring us those Hayon plants. Whatever the hell they were. Evangeline's secret project that his father worked Did his father know about the aliens? Who else kept your secrets, Evangeline? Senshin walked down the long main corridor of Sutton Manor and stopped midway through to turn to his left. He paused outside the door took a deep breath and entered the medical laboratory, the last room where he had seen Okoro alive. Once inside, he didn't allow himself the luxury of reminiscing. He quickly opened the medical refrigerator and began to prepare a syringe before placing it into a hard plastic case and placing it into his satchel. Another of your scopalamine barbiturate cocktails. I thought you had more subtle means of coercion. Senshin spun around and cocked his Walther pistol in the darkness. Alexander? You call this security for the headquarters of the Immortal Rebellion? Senshin holstered his pistol and watched his best friend walk out of the darkness of the laboratory. The limp from his artificial leg was just barely noticeable. What are you doing here? I thought you were in Amsterdam. I wanted to see what happened to Nathaniel. A little Turk has a lot of spirit, leaping through unknown keyholes and outrunning Gravelar's goons. I had some thoughts on the Heian schematics that he stole- The boy's dead, Alex. He died a few days ago when we were infiltrating Shenglong. He was killed by one of those enforcers Black Door created. He fought bravely. Do you ever wonder why everyone seems to die around you, Sinchu? Don't start. That's not fair, Alex. You know- No. I found some blood on the far wall. I analyzed it against our database. It was Ikoro's blood, Senshin, and whoever did it did a damn sloppy job of cleaning up. The bastard also left his fingerprints on the chair she was sitting in. Senshin closed his eyes tightly. Ikoro was the traitor you warned me of. She was about to reveal the location of Sutton Manor. She was working for Black Door. What? Black Door? That's impossible. How she could- She was having an affair with a mortal, the CEO of Nankatsu Industries. She even had a child with her. A child? You mean a between? Does she realize how dangerous- Black Door was using the child as blackmail. She was going to tell them everything about us. You killed her. I made a vow to protect Sutton Manor and the Rebellion. That's a greater responsibility than any personal feelings I might have harbored. I'm beginning to wonder if you have any feelings left at all. Alex, you are my friend. 
you know me better than this. It was my design to leave Leviathan. My idea. You understand that I have a responsibility to the Rebellion. To the hundreds of citizens that walked out of Leviathan, walked out of a paradise to join me on the surface. It was never a paradise. It could have been. But I promised them that I would take care of them. That I would find a way to preserve their immortality. That was on my head. And now, I think I finally have a way to preserve it. Forever. The cloning experiment. John and Teresa's child. What's its name? McAllen? No. No, I fear we've lost control of her. She's been taken to Leviathan, and we can't be sure whether she's alive or that Evangeline hasn't been more persuasive. No, I, I think I found another way to keep everyone who left with us alive. How? Evangeline has kept a horrible secret within the bowels of Leviathan. The Seraxian aliens are here on Earth. What? The Seraxian aliens? The ones that Evangeline saved? They're on Earth? Apparently they never left, Alex. After they helped Evangeline create Leviathan, she imprisoned them and held them hostage to assure a constant supply of Starstones to feed her growing population. Shocking. You're sure of this? Completely. And where? Where on Earth are they? Sadly, I'm not sure yet, but I've made an uneasy alliance to find out exactly where they are. An alliance with whom? With the Black Door group. With Black Door, our sworn enemy. The people who caused more immortal deaths than the damned Signal or Age of Trisha. Black Door, the ones that just killed Nathaniel. My God, you really have lost any sense of feelings, haven't you? Let me ask you, have you lost your mind as well, Sentium? It's a partnership, and it won't be a lasting one. Of course it won't. They'll kill you or betray you the first chance they get. Black Door has been working with the aliens and helped orchestrate a breakout from Leviathan. Evangeline has kept them prisoner for a thousand years, and as such, they are wary of immortals. They're lost somewhere in the Keyhole Network, but I think I have a way to find them. And what will you do? Let's say that Black Door doesn't stab you in your sleep, and let's say there's even a little bit of your soul left. What then? How does any of this help the Rebellion? If I can find the aliens and speak to them, then I can convince them to give us the Starstone, not Evangeline. Maybe they can even help us devise a genetic sequencing to avoid the Starstone infusion altogether. It'll be a chance to be truly free, Alex, to liberate the aliens and make sure that our people will never have to know the shadow of death. You're delusional, Sension. These people are killers. They'll get what they want from you and then throw you away like tissue paper. Have you considered that you might be wrong? That the aliens may resent you as much as Evangeline and may refuse to help you? Then their Black Door saves will have to be removed from the equation entirely, and I'll be in a position to exact our revenge. And what about the aliens? If they don't help us, then the aliens will have to learn that incarceration in Leviathan will be a paradise compared to what I'll do to them. I will save my people, Alex, and at this point, I really don't care if I have to kill a few Seraxians to do it. In a dark tenement building in Washington Heights, Jason Sterling stood in the middle of a dilapidated living room, staring at Rebecca Kinderman and Kasunori Tanaka's young son, Toshi. Hypodermic needles, used condoms, and small plastic vials were strewn in the corners of the filthy room. Toshi and Rebecca sat on a cheap polyester couch, with exposed springs digging into the back of their thighs, while Jason Sterling stood staring at them. Although, not them so much as Toshi. The young boy and red-skinned man had been staring at each other without a word for over ten minutes. Finally, Rebecca spoke. So, so what are you going to do to us? I said, what are you going to do to us? Hey, I asked you a question. You are not in a position to ask any questions. Jason Sterling stormed out of the decrepit living room and marched in the adjacent bedroom. Rebecca looked down at the young boy who seemed unfazed by the sudden outburst. He gets mad during the day. The light from outside hurts him. Has... has he ever hurt you? No, but sometimes we forget to eat. 
Are you hungry right now? A little. What's your name? Toshi. Toshi? I'm Rebecca. Rebecca rose and walked into the bedroom where she found the shades drawn tightly, and only a small fluorescent lamp in the corner provided any illumination in the room. She slowly approached the red-skinned man sitting in the corner with his head in his hands. I, I don't know who you are, but you need to feed Toshi. He's just a little boy and... and... There's a menu on the floor in the kitchen. Fine. Should I get something? I mean, do you want something? I'm not eating. Um, please, can I ask you something? Jason failed to respond, but he also made no outburst to stop her. Why? Why did you kidnap me? You were requested. Requested? By who? Just someone who's been alive for a few centuries and felt that you were needed for a certain task. I'm just a librarian. A good one, but I'm not sure what task you have in mind. Would you please tell me? Unfortunately, I don't know. But a very important job is going to be completed in the next 24 hours. And for some reason, this immortal thinks you are an integral part of it. Immortal? How do you... I don't want to hear your questions anymore! Jason moved with blinding speed at Rebecca and brought his fist back, about to smash Rebecca's face when... Don't! Toshi stood in the doorway, staring at Jason Sterling. We need to order food, and then we'll be quiet. Don't hurt her. Fine. Fine. As long as you two shut the hell up. Jason retreated back into the dark bedroom, leaving Toshi and Rebecca alone in the living room. You you don't seem scared by him. I was. Now, not so much. Why? Because I can sense what he's thinking. It'll all be okay soon. How, how can you say that? We've both been kidnapped by a monster. Why aren't you more scared? Because he doesn't have very much time left anymore. You know, gay marriage was just legalized in New York, but if you're taking me to City Hall... Don't flatter yourself. This is how we get to the safe house. Of course, the station. It was a train station all along. New York has the largest transit system in America. Here. You're going to need these. Whit reached into his backpack and handed Sension a pair of night vision goggles. He also removed a small laptop computer from his bag and booted it up. What are these for? Whit ignored the question and tapped furiously into his Ladies laptop. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the last stop on this train. Everyone, please leave the train. Wait, this is the last stop on the 6th train. We need to get off Sit we... down and shut up. Sension clenched his fists and forced himself to think of the two aliens that were now lost somewhere on the Earth. I want to kill this imbecile so badly that I need to find the aliens. I could save the Rebellion. I could save all of them. The southbound 6th train had reached its terminus at Manhattan's southern tip. The train held for a long time at the City Hall Brooklyn Bridge stop. While all of the passengers on the train filtered out, soon Wit and Sension were the only people left in the subway car. Is this your safe house? A subway car? There. Done. The subway car's doors slammed shut, and the train lurched forward and began a slow crawl into the dark tunnel ahead. It followed its typical path of meandering access rails and tunnels to bring the train around to the northbound subway tracks, where it would reverse its journey and bring New York City commuters towards Harlem and the Bronx. The train shuffled and bobbed around the recessed tracks for several minutes before Sension's attention was slowly drawn to the window. He expected to arrive at the northbound portion of City Hall Station, but in 
Instead, the train passed by a different station, an empty station, one with exquisite tar mosaics, wrought iron skylights, brass fixtures and gaslit chandeliers. Not a soul stood on the platform, and Senshin felt like he had been transported back into the 1920s. Get ready. Witt's finger flew across the keyboard one last time before pressing enter, at which point the train suddenly stopped and every single interior and exterior light extinguished. Goggles on. Wit and Senshin each activated their night vision goggles, illuminating the interior of the subway car in a pale green pallor. Even though it was past 10 o'clock at night, the moonlight streaming in from the skylights of the station made the platform seem as bright as day. Hurry, follow me. Whit picked up his backpack and quickly walked to the back of the car and opened the rear door to enter the space between the rail cars. He deftly climbed over the protective gate and jumped down to stand on the subway tracks. Watch out for that third rail, Senshin. I don't think your immortality will protect you from 700 volts of electricity. Senshin hated being in the position of following Wit and not knowing exactly where they were going. He he cursed himself for not being aware of this abandoned subway station and for being ignorant that the Black Door Group had created a safe house within his own city. As soon as Senshin and Wick climbed onto the main platform, they ran inside one of the side entranceways to the station. With a few keystrokes on his laptop, the lights in the station came back on and the formerly stalled six train rumbled to a noisy start and continued its northbound journey along the east side of Manhattan. Now what? Now you meet the rest of the team. The hair on Senshin's arm stood up as he realized that he was finally going to meet his nemesis, Jason Sterling, the man behind door number 12, the man that was responsible for the deaths of countless immortals, for Othello, for Ikoru, for Nathaniel. He had waited a long time for this meeting. He followed Wit around the corner and back onto the main platform which curved heavily towards the left. As they walked further, more and more of the platform revealed itself. Finally, it revealed three figures standing still, staring at the two men approaching. It was a strange combination, Senshin thought. A young Japanese boy, maybe five or six years old, wearing a dirty school uniform, and a tall woman with chestnut hair and glasses. In the middle of them stood a grotesque image of a man. The person was bald, wearing oversized fatigue pants and boots, and held a trench coat in his swollen hand. He also wore the tatters of a white button shirt, ripped and completely open at the chest, revealing his deeply inflamed skin that seemed to glow crimson. He looked more muscular than a typically fit human, with bold and curves that seemed abnormal in places. His eyes were a solid block of ruby color. His muscles tightened as Senshin approached. Jason Sterling, I have waited a long time to meet you. You're not what I expected. Senshin, leader of the Immortal Rebellion, I think it's very safe to say that I've been looking forward to meeting you as well. The two men stared at each other with hatred. Which says you know how to find the aliens your people enslaved. I certainly hope for your sake that you can. My people rebelled from Leviathan and risked their lives in order to live in freedom. I know that I'm risking my life right now for the freedom of two sentients I've never met. So do not take a sanctimonious tone with me, murderer. Because whether you realize it or not, you are very much risking your own life right now. You're in my station, my safe house, and you are very outnumbered. I'd watch your step very carefully. I've got hundreds of immortals buried in every corner of the globe, watching from every street corner, employed at every major bank, and entrenched in every single intelligence agency. If you would be so stupid to even think of hurting me, I will make sure that a war of shocking viciousness is brought down upon you that will last you the rest of your very short life. You're not Black Door anymore. All your power is gone. You're just a mutant that's been outcast with nowhere left to run. 
You will not last long in my world. <laughs> if you don't cooperate with us and locate the aliens quickly, the world may very soon become one you no longer recognize. Jason lets his eyes burn holes in Sension, and then finally turn to wit. We need to get out of the open. Understood. We have seven minutes until the next train. I'll get the lock. Tell me when you're ready, Wit. Wit ran 20 yards further along the platform and placed his hand on the tiled wall. Ready, Jason. The squat, scarlet-stained man approached one of the antiquated wooden turnstiles. Sension watched him turn the turnstile two clicks clockwise, and then one counterclockwise, and then two more again in the other direction. The door's open. We have four seconds before relock. Immediately, Whit Roberts' hand reached for the mosaic subway tile on the other side of the station that read City Hall. He traced his finger three tiles down on the letter C and pressed the third tile inward. Five feet to the left of Whit Roberts, an almost indiscernible crack in the wall widened, and a tiled doorway recessed inward to reveal an entrance in the side of the station wall. Welcome to our safe house, the station. Sension was amazed. He had lived in New York for over 70 years and had spent time there for over a century. He prided himself on knowing its secrets, its speakeasies, its architecture and its underbelly. He had never seen a structure hidden so well and in such plain sight as this, a clandestine sanctuary, a true safe house. I'm impressed. It may not be Sutton Manor, but it does keep prying eyes away, especially satellites and anyone thinking of following us. The next train's coming. We have to hurry. Toshi ran towards the opening in the wall first. Sension was surprised by the boy's eagerness, but realized that he may have just welcomed the chance to increase the distance between him and the monstrosity that was Jason Sterling. Wit followed, while the young woman stood nervously. Jason stared at her sinisterly. After you, my dear. The woman began to shake visibly. Sension walked closer to her. It's okay. I promise you that no one is going to hurt you. It'll be my job from here on out to take care of you. The woman seemed to relax slightly at the tone of his voice. Who are you? My name is Sension. I know you're scared right now, but everything will make sense soon. Please, we need to enter the safe house. The next train is coming. Sension gestured towards the opening in the subway wall. Rebecca took another hard look at Sension and entered the station safe house. Sension quickly followed behind her, with Jason entering last and pulling on the enclosure lever in the interior thus sealing the chamber again, just before the next six train rambled through. This way. Jason pushed past Rebecca and Sension and walked down the narrow stone hallway. The scratched floor was concrete, but the sides of the wall continued with the ornate mosaic subway tiles found in the rest of the station. Check patterns and inlay accented with long lines of maroon, brown and sand gave the interior a warm, art deco feeling. Exposed filament bulbs cast yellow light, illuminating the path downward to the lower level. The three of them walked down carved stone steps with polished brass railings on both sides, leading them to a pair of wooden barn doors with a large brass plate overhead that read City of New York, Auxiliary Street car terminal storage. It was originally intended as a storage chamber where they used to keep the extra trolley cars in the 1920s and 30s. But after it was constructed, it never got used. As the larger subway cars became more popular, it couldn't fit through the narrow tunnels. The original entrance was destroyed as the subway system was expanded, so this runoff station doesn't show up on most blueprints. Door number 12 created their own access decades ago. Although Witt and I have refined the interface. Jason threw the doors fully open and Sension was astounded by what he saw. The station safe house was almost half a football field in length. 
The large vaulted tiled ceiling extended up over 20 feet and was supported by thick Corinthian limestone pillars. Several flat-screen monitors covered the right side of the wall, displaying news channels, closed-circuit camera footage, and satellite reconnaissance over a geographic region Sension couldn't identify. At the far end of the wall were several large rack-mounted servers and an adjacent Cray XE6 processing unit, but on the other side of the room were several refrigerators, as well as open shelves containing scores of dried noodles, canned vegetables, MREs, and cases of bottled water. Further along the wall appeared to be a wine rack, as well as a card table and backgammon board. On the other side of the room was a stainless steel operating table with several glass cabinets of first aid supplies. Through one of the open doors on the right, Sension could see a row of cots, as well as shower stalls. The safe house was clearly designed for someone to hide and wait for a very long period of time, and Senshin couldn't stop himself from feeling envious. We don't have much time, Senshin. I've set up the room on the left the way you've asked. The five of them entered an antechamber to the left that had served as a maintenance room for the old streetcars. Workbenches and tools, both old and shockingly new, lay side by side with each other. Beside one workbench was a large pod-like structure that was half-constructed, as well as several rows of test tubes, beakers, and centrifuges. A wooden chair sat in the middle of the room, on top of several layers of blankets and a blue industrial tarp. Thank you, Whit. Over here, Rebecca. Please, I don't know what you people want from me. I don't have much money, but nobody will ever have to- Shh, Rebecca. It's okay. It's gonna be alright. You've no idea how much I missed you. Who are you? We've never met. I don't know you. Of course. Please, sit down, Rebecca. Like Wit said, we don't have much time. Time for what? Wit, please restrain What? What the fuck? What are you doing? Let go of me! Wit Roberts moved quickly, grabbing several zip ties from the hardware rack on the far wall, and restrained Rebecca's wrist to the arms of the chair. You fucking liar! I'm sorry we have to do this. Do what? What are you doing to me? all be over soon. Why the fuck are you doing this to Sension me? Sension knelt down and sorted Please. through the large satchel he carried with him. He removed a bright orange plastic case, as well as a strange set of oversized sunglasses with thick, heavy rims that seemed like they would cover most of a person's face. He picked them up and placed them on Rebecca's face, encompassing most of her forehead and nose. She could see nothing but blackness. Sension then opened the plastic case and removed a prepared hypodermic needle. Rebecca couldn't see the needle, but she could hear Sension's footsteps getting closer. What are you doing? This is just going to help you relax. What is... what... what the hell did you just put into my body? Sension pressed a small button on the rim of the glasses worn by Rebecca, releasing a violent flood of light pulses, colors, and patterns. Rebecca's body shuddered and then suddenly fell silent. Sension, Wit, and Jason Sterling stood at the far end of the wall watching her before Sension's eyes drifted lower. The boy shouldn't be here. He doesn't need to see this. What do you think, Toshi? Are you afraid? Do you want us to take you into another room where you can be alone? No. There you have it, then. The young boy has a man's stump. Senshin stared at the strange Japanese boy before turning his attention back to Rebecca. After a moment of stillness, Rebecca's stomach twitched abruptly, and her fingers began to tremble nervously. Within moments, her whole body shuddered, and soon she started vomiting uncontrollably. The wood slats of her chair strained and creaked under the increasing load of her body's violent tremors. Seconds later, Rebecca's legs kicked out like she was possessed and reduced her body to convulsing, uncontrollable. You're killing her, Senshin. No. No, it's just part of the process. Like a snake shedding its skin. Soon, Rebecca Kinderman fell silent again, and her body grew calmer and finally went limp.
Senshin approached her slowly and removed the large heavy glasses from her face and lovingly wiped the hair from her sweaty, damp brow. He kissed her cheek lightly and Rebecca's eyes gradually fluttered open. Rebecca. Senshin, how long was I out for? About 15 years. <sighs> I see. It feels good to be back. You have been listening to Season 2 of The Leviathan Chronicles by Christoph Leputka. To listen to the entire first half of Season 2 right now and get exclusive storyline, purchase the director's cut of Season 2 at leviathanchronicles.com. For more updates and news, find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for supporting us, and thank you for listening. You're listening to Wednesday Wonders on the Mutual Audio Network, where you can enjoy the wonders of the imagination. And speaking of wonders, everybody wonders why the Bells in the Battery podcast is still plugging along, not only on Friday Follies, but a bunch of times on Sunday Showcase as well. Give Bells in the Bat Free a listen sometime, and you'll wonder how he gets away with some of that stuff. Rated G, family friendly. Caution, occasional toxic puns.